Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller, the host of this program. I'm a collaborative family lawyer and mediator with a practice located in New Rochelle and in Manhattan. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group, and I'm on a mission to change how people divorce in New York. Today, I'm here with Deborah Hamilton. Deborah is the author of the newly published book, How to Use Mediation to Resolve Conflicts Over Animals, and she is a pioneer in the world of animal mediation, which is not mediation between animals, but mediation between people with disputes around animals. And I'm thrilled, Deborah, to have you here today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Catherine. It's really fun to be here. The book has a cute little title that starts it off as nipped in the bud, not in the butt, how to use mediation, because that way people really can understand that mediation can enable them to solve like you've been talking over the weeks by having a dialogue, you nip it in the bud, instead of, as animals will do, nip you in the butt. And that's what happens when conflicts arise. So it's really interesting. I think that the field of disputes around animals is obviously much broader than divorce, which is my area of practice. But I just wanted to tell you a little story. Maybe I've shared this with you in the past. But when I told my husband that, my first husband, that I wanted a divorce, the first thing he said to me was, you're taking the dog. And that was fine with me. But ironically and sadly, years later, he admitted to me that the thing he felt the most guilty about was abandoning our golden retriever, Denver, and that he had you know, pushed him off onto me in, like, in this sort of aggressive way, which he really regretted for years and years to come. And I think that animals are often, you know, they're family members, you know that. And I think sometimes people, whether or not they have children or don't have children, really focus a lot on the animals and they become very important. And, and, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about your experience of that. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because today when I was thinking about this interview, I said, I hope I remember to talk about the people who may decide not to take the animal in divorce or may actually hold the animal as ransom because they know how important it is to the other party. And at the end of the day, realize, wow, I would have liked to have kept the cat the dog, the horse, the bird in my life at some point. And I actually talk to people, attorneys don't necessarily, I love them very much. (laughs) They're my people. Although I don't litigate any longer, I only mediate. They don't get how important animals have become in our culture since like the 60s. From the 60s on, they became our family members, our companions. They're no longer just property as we know they are under the law. So if you go to court, It doesn't always work out in the best interests of either party or the animal. There was a recent case, Travis v. Murray, I wasn't involved with, but it was a divorce and they fought hammer and tong for this dog and the judge made a groundbreaking decision. And in my opinion, I wrote an article about it, a heartbreaking decision because he made, he gave them the opportunity to have a hearing, which has never been done before. It's been done for the Escalade and the Ferrari, but not for the dog. So he gave them this hearing. It was wonderful. But in the hearing, he said, you have to decide who owns the dog outright. And we as attorneys know with property, there's sole ownership. You can't really have joint custody of a dog. They're not going to go there. 
So it was great. However, this dog was now owned by one of the parties, not both of the parties. And I wrote in my article, what happens if one of the parties gets sick? Wouldn't the dog prefer to be with their other party, but for the fact you're so angry? So in divorce, I get it. Taking the dog because your husband's never taken care of it. Take the dog because your wife really doesn't like the dog. Whatever it is, recognize that the dog doesn't dislike your spouse. You do. And you can hold that as much as you want. We talk about that in our mediation and collaborative group that we talk about. People really get angry with each other. But to hold that over and bring the dog into the argument really doesn't serve the purpose you really want to serve. And the dog really, or the cat, or the bird or the horse, really suffer because they don't dislike the other spouse as much as you do. You know, it's really interesting. I think animals are caught in a very weird place in the law, right? Their property, their chattel, you know, meaning inanimate objects, basically, Mm -hmm. as far as the law is concerned. And yet, of course, they're not, you know. And so many of us who are animal lovers, you know, feel relationship with our animals, you know, very deeply. And it's a responsive relationship because they also feel a relationship with us. Unlike our chairs or our cars or our desks or whatever, the animal has a relationship with each of us as well. And yet the law doesn't treat them in that kind of custody way, which is more the way, obviously, we think about children. In some ways, there is a lot of more similarity between a relationship between a person and a dog or a cat or a bird or horse or whatever, but not so much animals that don't live in your home, Mm -hmm. right? So an animal you share your home with, it feels more like a relationship with another person than it does with a relationship with an inanimate object. And yet the law doesn't treat animals in that way. And I think, you know, what you're talking about really, in this case and in others like it, how can we treat animals in a way that's not as akin to another person, but not like just a chair or a desk or a car or a bank account? Well, that's why I created my practice, because I'm one of the only people in the United States, there's about five other of my colleagues, who help people deal with this question involving the custody of an animal outside the divorce parameters. A lot of my attorney friends have said to me, I wish I had, if I had a dollar for everyone who said this, I could retire. I wish I'd known you when I was in the middle of a divorce agreement negotiation and we got down to the dog and everything had been settled and then we got to the dog and it almost blew up. Because what people don't understand in our practice of divorce, especially in litigation, you have to ask up front, do you have a pet? You really need to now ask that almost at the same time you ask, do you have children? Because I often say when I give lectures on this, I said, the pet is usually the last best thing you you all did together. The kids cost you a lot of money. They sometimes aggravate you. The dog or the cat that lives with you only brings you joy, never asks you for much except maybe for food. And so this is the, they've done studies. If you pet a dog, if you live with a dog, if you pet a cat, your heart rate goes down, your life seems more full. If you relate to people and other animals better, you relate to your children better. So having an animal in your life is really impactful. So at divorce, when you're going through the worst time in your life, to then either use the pet as a pawn to have people leave money on the table to keep the pet. As you said, you know, your ex-husband said, I really regret not having Denver in my life at the end of the day. Well, a lot of people do regret that, but at the time they know Catherine's going to leave $20,000 on the table so that she can keep Denver. And attorneys are mystified that people will leave. There was one article I read in the Miami Herald when I was first starting this practice, and an attorney actually was quoted as saying, 
my client left $20,000 on the table for a dog and it was old. <laughs> and so we, you and I own dogs. And it, that, that was, um, it mystified me that they didn't get it, that they did not get that it had nothing to do with age. It had to do with, this was something that was going to anchor her in this very emotional divorce process. And, you know, you and I have done collaborative and mediated divorces. I only do the piece with the animal, but it really is something that has to be addressed, has to be talked about and can't be left till the end of the day. You know, I actually have two thoughts in my mind, but let me start with this one. And that is that, you know, it's interesting that keeping money on the table over the dog, that happens with kids too. Right. right? And, and, right. And, and that's actually the worst piece of litigating and, and really the reason why I gave that model up because it didn't meet my own core values as to how people should be with each other. And it's sometimes it's necessary. It's just not how I wanted to spend my life. Hence my mission to change how people divorce because I think there are better ways. And one of the things that I realized when I was litigating is that even with everybody wanting to do the best thing and to keep the children out of it and really genuinely both parties, both attorneys, the, the court, it's impossible not to bring them in in some way, not necessarily into the courtroom, but into the negotiation because of the emotional attachment and intensity that each parent has. And at the same time, though, except in the most, the worst, worst of cases, most parents recognize the importance of two parents in a child's life. They may criticize the other parent. They may think they're doing a bad job. They may have a lot of ways in which they could offer helpful and not so helpful suggestions as to how the other person could do things differently, but they understand it took two of us to put this child here on the earth, regardless of how that child was brought into the family. And we know that it's important for that child to have both of us. But the children have a voice. I mean, they literally can talk, right? And animals, I think we're much more prone as, as a culture to project onto them. You know, I'm sure I'm guilty of this too. I'm, this is not a criticism, but an observation. And so it makes it so much easier just to say, no, you know, Fido or Rover or, you know, Fluffy, Fluffy, or thank you, won't miss, you know, Joe or Jill. You know, they, it'll just be, you know, us because they like me better anyway. I'm the only one who always feeds. I'm the one who always walks. I'm the only one who grooms or whatever it is. You're absolutely right. So I had a client who was sent to me by an attorney who uh, wished me good luck because they were at loggerheads. One attorney had told his client that he had paid all the bills on the dog, so he deserved 50% of the time with the dog at divorce. And he just couldn't even manage that. But he didn't really, his ego got in the way because he should get 50%. And when we sat down in mediation, like you said, in child custody, you can have the dog or the cat, uh, the child, excuse me, have a conversation, but in custody of a pet, you can't. And he actually recognized that the dog would be better off most of the time with his ex-wife. And he would get the dog every weekend and all vacations. And he said, you know, I never would have gotten here without the ability to really examine and focus what it was I wanted. And I think that's what we bring to the table in the dialogue for divorce. We get the parties to focus on what's really important to them. You in a much greater capacity than I, because I simply have them focus on what they feel is the best for the animal. And after we get over the anger and talking about how you've never fed the dog, walked the dog, or cleaned up after the dog, that's fine. But when you think about the dog and its best interest, making sure both of these people who have been its parents for its life, they would prefer to be with one if the other couldn't care for it and vice versa. And you would know and feel better, even if your spouse was not necessarily the best caregiver, the dog would be safe. Yeah. 
So before we go on, I would like to remind everybody that this is Catherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. We're here every other Wednesday on WVOX 1460 AM. And today, we're here every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, I should say. And today we're talking with Deborah Hamilton, a pioneer in the world of mediation around disputes around animals, animal mediation, although... Conflicts over animals. Conflicts over animals. Given to me by Temple Grandin when I had my title for my book. She said, just say conflict over animals, because that's actually what it is. And people really will go to the mat for their animals. I'm sure you can attest to this. They will absolutely, as you said, recognize what's best for the children, because the children can verbalize and they know and they want to really be good parents. But the pet can't verbalize and they really do want to keep that pet in their life, or they know how much you want to keep that pet in your life. And so they hold it as a bargaining chip. And I've been able to, in my practice, both teach people how to address this conflict and teach my attorney friends how to ask about it and not necessarily set their clients up to want, as my one attorney friend did, to want more than he really can handle or she can handle. You really have to look at the realities. When you get divorced, you might not have the same living arrangement. You might not be able to have a pet. You might not be able to afford a pet, whatever it is. You really have to look at what's in the best interest of the pet, as well as you. Yeah, and your children. And your children. And it's really interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about an, a client of mine who, post-divorce, living separately from her now ex-husband, sharing custody of, of their children and the dog. And this was a woman who spent a lot of time at home alone. You know, she was a stay-at-home mom, and then she became uh, began a home-based business. And so she was at home with the dog a lot. And so then the dog would sometimes go back and forth with the children. And I remember her saying to me, you know, I really miss the dog when she's not here. You know, it's not that I don't miss the children, but this sort of like companionship of having the dog with me and her relationship with her dog really deepened on the other side of divorce. And this was a dog that they'd gotten for the kids and, you know, the typical kind of thing that people think. And so I really think that going through a divorce or any other obviously traumatic or difficult event in your life, your pet can become even that much more important. So then your comfort, you know, the focus of your comfort and the relationship with your pet can feel like that's being wrested away from you at a really, at a very difficult time in your life. And I think sometimes people just, it's just the symbolic. And that's why, you know, at the end, the sort of symbolic thing that not only are you leaving me, not only is my life as I knew it over, but you're taking from me my biggest source of solace and comfort. Right. The one thing when I come home from work, never asks me for anything, just comes and greets me, says hello especially in families that have chosen to simply have animals and not have children. When those families break up, I had a uh, mediation of a conflict between people over an animal, and they weren't married, but this animal was their child. They'd been together for a number of years. And when they broke up, they used to steal the dog from each other because they just wouldn't be able to give it up. This was, as you said, their solace, their comfort as a result of the relationship breakup. And through mediation, which they were never able to do with attorneys, they were able to have that conversation, talk to each other about why it was so important that this animal stay in their life, recognize that to the other party, it was just as important, but they were never able to listen. And you and I both know enabling parties in mediation or collaborative to actually listen to the other party through the voice of the collaborative attorney or mediator helps them understand that for the best interests of the children or the animal that you can actually come to a solution you never even thought of before. I know you've probably spoken about it a number of times on this radio program, how solutions have come from 
the parties themselves, which is what we seek, that they never would have thought they could have come to simply because we enable them to sit down, take time, focus, and think about the thing they're arguing about, which is the animal or the children, but in my case, always the animal, and knowing what they want to do that's in the best interests. After they get, they dump their bucket, as I say, about how much they dislike you, then they can come back around and say, okay, I really dislike you. I'm not going to like you anymore. But Fluffy doesn't dislike you as much as I do. And quite frankly, there are cottage industries springing up all over the big cities that are providing that transportation, doggy daycares, doggy taxis, the transportation between divorced couples so they can actually share the dog and never have to see each other. Yeah, this is Catherine Miller. This is Dialogue on Divorce, WVOX 1460 AM. I'm here every other Wednesday from 5 to 530. I'm talking today with Deborah Hamilton, a pioneer in the field of conflict over animals. We're talking about mediation of animal conflicts. In divorce. In divorce, but in general as well. Absolutely. And I think we've been talking a little bit about how the mediation process allows people to have a conversation that actually resolves these conflicts in divorce, but in other situations as well, conflicts around animals and other issues that they're unable to resolve in a more traditional kind of lawyer-focused conversation, settlement conversation. And I think that is really very true, that many times people come into mediation around conflicts over animals or in divorces or, or anything, and they've had the same conflict conversation again and again and again, you know, where one person says one thing, another person says the other thing. And then literally they've had the same exact conversation word for word, second for second, minute for minute, you know, numerous, numerous times. And they both come in so frustrated and feeling so unheard. And they're desperate to have someone hear where they're coming from and affirm that they're not wrong. In, their, in the presence with each other, the only thing that they do is disaffirm the other person's view. And I think that what you're saying about the conversations that you're able to have with people, divorcing people around their animals or other conflicts around animals, is that in the mediation process, you're able to expand that conversation. And can you tell us a little bit more about how that works or give us some examples about how you've seen that happen? Well, in the discussion that we have, we always start with, as you said, they've never taken care of the dog. They've never fed the dog. They've never even spent time with the dog other than the dog was on the couch maybe during TV. But then you listen to the other side, which says, well, she always fed the dog. She always walked the dog. And I really, I worked too much. I couldn't, but I always took the dog out on Saturday mornings. And then the memory spurred. Oh yeah, you did take the dog out on Saturday mornings. I forgot that. And I always, especially with this school teacher, he only had a set amount of time that he spent with the dog, but that was totally forgotten in the anger as it sometimes is. And when you sit down and have a conversation with the parties, they start to remember things and they talk about them. And since they're talking to the mediator first, and the other party is hearing it through the reflection of the mediator of understanding and looping and making sure we hear what it is that one party's saying, we both practice understanding-based mediation. So it is something that where you try to understand exactly where the person's coming from, and they give you that information, it spurs the memory of the other person, or it gives credit to the party who's speaking because you are understanding them and they tend to listen more deeply to how the mediator reflects back what's being said and they hear it in a different way from a different voice and they I know you've said this many times they hear it for the first time sometimes even though it might have been said a hundred million times but I just wasn't listening to you because as in conflict I'm always thinking about how I'm going to answer you I'm not really hearing what you're saying 
So especially with the animals, the fact that I can enable people to stop and listen to the other party gets them to figure a way to find a solution. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. It's as if somehow or other each person's view of the actual facts is expanded to include a little bit of the facts as the other person sees them. And we see that in conflict all the time. You know, people come into my office and they disagree about the color of the sofa in their living room. And it's not like one person is wrong and one person is right. Or whether or not if I went into the sofa, I'd say, oh, yeah, it is green. It's not blue. Like, what does that have to do with anything? It's really about being able to have a shared understanding of the facts enough that the dispute that they're having, they can make enough room for the other person to include them in the solution. Absolutely. For me, it makes such a difference when we can sit down, have a conversation, recognize how much an animal is important to both parties, even though each party hasn't given the other one credence. It's overly important to you, or I'm going to punish you for it because of the fact you gave it too much attention and not enough attention to me, and that's why we're getting divorced. Or you've never given it attention. Why do you want it now? You're only doing it to hurt me. And then, as you said with your ex-husband, they get to think now, they didn't have that opportunity then, maybe, to sit there and reflect on what life would look like without Denver. And had he maybe reflected on that, he would have said, well, maybe I would like to have him once a month, or maybe I would like to have him when you're on vacation once a year. And that would have established that connectivity that Denver would have appreciated, because I'm sure he didn't dislike your ex-husband, and, and so it was him. Who knows? But it would be something that that you could enable. And if God forbid every, anything ever happened to you, there was always somewhere else for the animal to go. That's my thrust. When I'm talking to my divorcing couples, I go, okay, I get it. They should stay with Catherine. I get that. But if something happens to Catherine, wouldn't you like Dave to get it? Because that's the person the dog knows second best. And you think about that and you go, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. Maybe that is a good thing. This is Catherine Miller. You're listening to the Dialogue on Divorce. I'm speaking today with Deborah Hamilton, an expert in animal conflicts. We're talking about the conflicts of animals in divorce. This is WVOX 1460 AM, and we're also available as a podcast on iTunes and on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com. And we're talking about mediation around family and animal disputes. And I'm thinking that, you know, when we talk about custody of children, the children have a voice, and we talked about that a little bit earlier, and there are child specialists and child you know, forensic psychologists, and, you know, there are whole ways in which the children can use their voice, you know, and their the, the gift of language and communicate their wishes and what's going on for them to other human beings. But animals, you know, even there are animal psychics and there are animal communicators, you know, and it's hard not to kind of roll your eyes a little bit when you, know, you hear that, oh, well, we do it by the telephone. So is there any way that you have come across or that you think is an intriguing or interesting way of getting actual feedback from the animal that, you know, other than both standing on, you know, two sides of a park and each, you know, calling for Fido? Well, that sort of is prone to danger because of the fact that Fido is always going to go to the person who it's most attached to. I have five dogs and each and every one of them would run toward me. And nobody would run toward my husband because he doesn't have a lot of impact with them, but he loves them. And when I'm not there, they're not running to anybody else but my husband. So it's a little manufactured if you try to have somebody decide, oh, okay, so they like Catherine better. They all ran to Catherine, so we'll give them to Catherine. When in fact, the dogs would pick Deborah if no one else was in the room because they're both equal. What I have found is that most of the dogs, if you leave them in the room, and you observe the interaction with the dog, the dog will interact almost identically with both parties, unless, of course, someone's abusive. 
And then you have to think about that. And if there's a claim of abuse, then you have to think about that. However, most of the time, it's simply that you don't want to have to deal with the other spouse, which is why I brought up the cottage industries of supporting Mm -hmm. people to get the dogs back and forth. But you really want to support the animal's ability to live with everyone because they don't hold a grudge. They aren't angry. And especially where kids are involved, to enable the dog to go back and forth, cats don't really survive as well going back and forth from their home to some other home. It can be done, especially if people are diligent, but it is a little more difficult than dogs. Dogs are much more adaptive. But you really want to make sure that when you're having that conversation about who loves the dog more or who the dog loves more, you're very careful not to skew it because that will always, almost always turn out to be the person who takes care of the pet. And that doesn't mean that that's the only person the pet would go to in a pinch. So it's it's fraught with error. I don't I don't disagree that people can talk to your dog from the other side. There are a lot of people who have great websites that help you have a dialogue with your dog, both when it's alive and when it's dead. I mean, a lot of people put a lot of credence in that. I tend to really like to just have the conversation with the divorcing people and keep them focused in the room and present and really focused on what they want to do in the best interest, which is against the courts. You know, we we talked about the court before, and I I have to go back there because I always cringe when people want to go to court to fight over their dog because the court's hands are really tied. They really are because it's a chair. I totally agree. I mean, the courtroom, in my opinion, is a very bad place for families. Mm -hmm. I discovered that in 10 years of litigation, not just matrimonial litigation, but child welfare litigation. And I think it's possibly even a worse place for animals. Oh, it really is. Because you just don't ever get the ability to uh, speak about the emotion because it's only the facts, ma'am. You know, like Sergeant Friday said, it's only the facts, ma'am. All right. So I just want to, before we end, I want to give people a chance to contact you. So what is your contact information? Well, you can reach me at www.hamiltonlawandandmediation.com, or you can write me at dhamilton at hamiltonlawandandmediation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at hlawmediation, and you can link in with me. You can call me at 914-273-1085. But I look forward to speaking to anyone who's in conflict over an animal, whether in divorce or not. Neighbors with barking dogs, call me too. Thank you so much for joining us today, Deborah. Thank you, Catherine. Loved being here.